All right, we're going to read Genesis 12, 1 through 4. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. Uh, please pray with me. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this community. I would pray that your Holy Spirit would be with us this morning, that you would speak uh, through Brian, um, that our hearts would be softened to hear your message, to ponder it, and that we would leave this place with changed hearts. And we pray that your presence would be with us throughout the week and that our church would uh, continue um, all throughout the week as we share life with one another, as we learn what it means to follow you humbly and follow you fully. We pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. There we go. All right, this morning we are continuing um, our study on the vision of our church. And if you have your bulletin, you can see on the bottom um, in the blue letters it says the Malibu Gathering uh, exists to share the renewing grace of the gospel by living in Christ with community and for others. And this morning we are going to focus our attention on what does it mean to be a church for people who do not believe in the gospel. What does it mean to be a church for people in our neighborhood who don't believe what we believe? How do we build relationships with people? How do we connect with people who don't have a similar view of life as we would as followers of Christ? And I think it's, um, it's really important to think about and clarify um, in our hearts, in our minds, of what does it mean to be a church? What does it mean to be a community of people? Um, to live and function in a larger community that does not believe the things that we would believe. And that's a, a really important thing for us to think through because we believe that we are to be connected to people in our community. Um, we are a local church and this is, a, this is home for us and so we want to have healthy and meaningful relationships with people that we live um, with in our neighborhood. But, we always want to begin, first and foremost, with the renewing grace of the gospel. And that's why we said two weeks ago that, first and foremost, we are followers of Christ in our own personal, individual lives. We are disciples of Christ. We are followers of Christ. And in John chapter 15, Jesus uses the example of the vine and the branch and says that our lives are grafted into Christ. The Apostle Paul says over 160 times that we are in Christ. And so that is our source of life. That is how we do life. We first and, foremost, first and foremost view our lives as grafted into Christ. And the temptation for us is that we view our relationship with Christ as an add-on to our life. That I've got my life, I've got my views of life, and I'm going to live my life, I've got my dreams, my hopes of how I want to do things, and then I'm going to add Christ to that, and hopefully that makes my view of life better. And Jesus says, that's, that's not what it means to be a true follower of Christ. To be a true follower of Christ means that your life is grafted into 
of the life of Jesus Christ. Last Sunday, we, we looked at what does it mean to be <clears throat> a part of a true community and that we are to avoid the idea of a consumer mindset that, that churches just exist to meet my own personal needs. And I just want to re- read a quote that we did from last week on understanding that we naturally think this way, that churches exist just to meet my needs, and if my needs aren't met, then I go on to somewhere else. So here's what we said last week. Consumerism is the self-focused drive to get as much as I can get with the least amount of effort. It coercively shifts the church away from its true calling, from valuing giving to getting. It compels us to protect what we already have and only to give away what has become useless to us. It erodes our sense of duty, honor, loyalty, and chivalry to live for the right things and the best things. It gets in the way of leaving a legacy for those behind us because it waters down our present understanding of what it means to follow Christ today. And so that shapes how we do community, how we serve. And I invite you, if this is your home church, just to find ways to participate, to get involved, to serve. And there are so many ways to do that. And... um, from behind-the-scenes um, ways to helping with kids, um, to being a part of worship, different things. So I just encourage everyone that if this is your home church, to find a way to serve, to find a way to use your gifts to be a, to be a part. This morning, we're going to look just for a couple minutes at what does the Bible say about being a church for people who do not believe in the gospel, for people who have a different view of life. And one of the things that's really interesting to me is that the consistent message of the Bible that we see is that God has a mission to redeem his world. Um, the, the Bible says that in Genesis chapters 1 and 2 that God created the world and it was beautiful and, and man lived in relationship with God and with each other. And it was good, very good. The Bible says over and over and over good how good things were. And then in Genesis chapter 3, the world becomes broken because of sin entering the world. And since that time, God's mission is to redeem the broken parts of the world. And God uses the church to participate with him in that mission. So when I say that we want to be a church for others, what I'm saying is that we want to participate with God in mending together the broken parts of the world, of mending together broken relationships, of mending together broken neighborhoods, of loving and caring for people enough that we invest in them, that we are participating with God in his mission. And one of the things we see right away is that in this call of Abraham, one of the first things that God does is he calls him to go, to go out beyond himself. And that is the call that we will see over and over and over again. One of the things that's, that's crucial, and I'll show this to you later, is that this idea of having a relationship with a living God, it compels us into ministry. It compels us to go. And it's not just professional ministers. It's, it's just not paid pastors. It is a call upon all of our lives. And I'll attempt to persuade you Um, of that truth from God's word this morning. There's one thing that is true that I know to be true in all of our lives, that all of us here this morning have different stories. 
All of us here have a past, a background, and a story. And some of those stories include pain and hurt and a little bit of confusion and lack of understanding. But what I want to show you this morning, and I will from God's Word, is that that background, that that story you have, is used to be a blessing for others. That you can turn that thing you have in your life, that hurtful thing, that thing when you look back and you can see that it, 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 it was hard, that God's mission is calling you to participate with Him to help redeem the world. That other people have similar experiences. And you can use those experiences to mend and heal hearts. That's what um, the Apostle Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. I think we have, do we have that, Russell, Ephesians 2? This is a very familiar verse, but this is so important for us to think about. Paul says this, that we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Now there's that one of those 160 times that Paul says in Christ. Here's one of them. It's all in the Bible, in the New Testament. You are in Christ. Your life is connected to Christ for good works. That means that your story, the life that you've lived, the good things, the bad things, the hard things, the broken relationships, the unfair things that you've experienced in life, they are used, they can be used as a form of blessings for other people. And we have to begin to think this way. We have to begin to shift our eyes off of ourselves and see that the hard things we have in life, that they can be used in a very specific way to be a blessing to other people. So let me show you from Scripture that God draws us into himself and always sends him out. And I think we have this on our bulletin. Um, two points this morning. Number one, God draws you in, but will always send you out. All right, so this is um, the story of Abraham. We're going to look just at the first three verses, and I'm going to draw one principle from this, and then we'll look at the Gospel of Luke for a moment, and then uh, we'll conclude with a few thoughts after that. So number one, is this. Let's just read this together. Verse 1 says, Now the Lord said to Abraham, Go. Now, I was reading different translations, and my favorite translation this week was the King James Version. And here's what the King James Version of this says. It says, Get thee out. That kind of drives it home. The New Living Translation says, Leave. The English Standard Version says, Go. And what's interesting about this is, what is Abraham being called to leave behind, to get out? And here's what it says. Your country, your people, and your father's house. And think about for a moment what those things represent today, that God is calling Abraham to leave the comfort, the stability, the relationships of family. He's saying, Leave. Get thee out. I'm calling you to something more. That there's something more important in your life than your own personal comfort. So principle number one is this, that God draws you in but will always send you out. You cannot say you had a religious spiritual experience unless you connect it somehow with being a blessing to other people. And I'm going to show you just over and over and over again that that is true. So let me begin here. Number one is this, is Abraham, chapter 12. The grace of God is given to Abraham, and immediately God says to him, 
that he's going to bless him. You're going to leave your, the things that bring security to your life. And then verse 2 says this, I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. Why? So that you will be a blessing. And this is the theme that runs throughout the Bible. So that you will be a blessing to others. I'm going to bless you so that you will be a blessing to others. Jesus says in John 15, your life is grafted into mine. That is the source of blessing. Now you must be a blessing to other people. So when I say that our church is to be a place for other people that don't believe what we believe, that means that we are willing to think and understand, to remember what, is it, what, did it, what did it feel like? What is it like to not be a Christian? That you have an understanding of what it's like to not believe in Jesus Christ. And you are willing to leave what's comfortable. Well, what are the things that are comfortable today? What do we, what do we cherish? What do we value? We value being esteemed. We value being admired. We um, value financial security. We value all these things. And God says, leave them behind so you can be a blessing to other people. All right? Let me just show you quickly how often this happens. Exodus chapter 3. I think we have these just on the, on the board here. All right? This is the story of Moses in the burning bush. Moses is tending sheep. He's got his lifestyle. He's comfortable. He's in, in, uh, in the mountains, and he's got his life. And God says to him in the form of a burning bush, go to Egypt. I am want you to be a blessing to other people. Next, Isaiah chapter 6. That's the passage where Isaiah views himself as an unclean, he's a flawed person. And God says, I need people to go to be a blessing to others. And what does Isaiah say? Here I am, Lord, send me. One of the reasons why people are less willing to be a blessing for others is because they view themselves as flawed people. I'm not worthy. I can't do this. And the Bible says all people can be a blessing. Next, Peter in Luke 5, Jesus says, Peter, you were once a fisherman of fish. That was your career. That was your job. Now I'm going to make you a fisherman of men. You're going to leave behind your old life, your career, and you're going to go after people. Next, Jesus in John 17. It's where he says, the Father has sent me, now I send you. And I can go on and on and on and on throughout the Bible, and I won't. That's enough for this morning. The idea of people who are in a relationship with God, people who are living in faith in Jesus Christ, are called to be a blessing to others. That is what it means that to, to be a church for other people. So, to be a church for others means that we are not self-focused. We are not preoccupied with all of our problems. We have to remember that for the rest of our lives, you will have personal problems. For the rest of your life, you will have bumps in relationships. For the rest of your lives, there will be things that cause you worry. There will be things that maybe upset you. Those things should never hinder you from being a blessing to others. In fact, the word, the, the, the familiar word, and it's used all the time now, is the word mission. And the Latin word is missio. And that word means sent. 
that we are sent out people to be a blessing to others. Let me show you now just um, another example of this from the New Testament. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10, and we'll, we'll look at this for a moment to be more specific in understanding this. So principle number one is this, that God will always draw you in, but he will always send you out to be a blessing to others. Principle number two, God sends you out as a, miss- as a messenger and as a neighbor. Let me begin here, though, in Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9 is when Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. So, trying to do a mind shift, uh, uh, a different shift in how church is done. All right, and here's the normal way. The normal way is from Luke chapter 9, when Jesus sends out the 12 apostles. These are the, um, the spiritual professionals. These are the spiritual elite. These are the people that we think have it all together. Jesus says this, chapter 9, verse 1, and he calls the 12 together and gives them power and authority over demons and to cure diseases, and he sends them out to proclaim the kingdom of God to heal. And so these apostles, these are the people that the church will be built on in the book of Acts. But what's interesting is that the next chapter in Luke chapter 10 Jesus sends out the 72. Now, I don't know if you ever thought about this, but this idea of 72, why would Jesus just randomly pick 72? What is Jesus communicating here? Most scholars believe that Jesus is referring to Genesis chapter 10 when he is referring to this list of nations in Genesis chapter 10. The most common form of the Old Testament was called the Septuagint. So the Hebrew Bible was translated into Greek during this time, and that was the Bible that was most commonly read. And in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, Genesis 10 lists 72 countries, the countries of the world. And so here's what Jesus is saying. After the Lord appointed 72 people, And the message is this, that ordinary, regular people are people who are sent out. And look how many times the word sent out or go is used in verses 1 through 3. Let's read that together. After the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them on ahead of him, two by two, into every town and place where he himself was about to go. And he said to them, the harvest is plentiful but the labors are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I am sending you out as lambs in the midst of wolves. So this idea of entering the presence of God and being sent out is just, that is the normal Christian life. That is, that is what it means to be a disciple of Christ. The idea that your relationship with Jesus Christ is personal and private and you never speak to anyone about it cannot be found in the scriptures. So how do we do this? Well, Jesus says, and this is what we've already talked about, he says that you're going to go out in my strength. 
that you're going to go out not by yourself, not to be your own authentic you, not to do life your own way. You're going to go out two by two. You're going to go out with people. You're going to do this with community. And one of the things that Jesus is going to talk about later on is this source of power of how you do community. And one of the main emphasis in Scripture is that the Holy Spirit will come upon you, that there will be a source, an ability, a power to come upon you to, number one, be a messenger, and number two, to be a neighbor, to be a messenger and to be a neighbor. And I know that we can be hesitant to talk about Christ. I think I told you uh, a while ago, but when I was a freshman in college, we had an assignment where we had to go out and witness to two people. And the first person I found was a drunk person. I was really comfortable because it was just nice, easy conversation. Very agreeable. And just he uh, said the prayer right with me. And um, at least uh, he was a believer for a few hours and maybe until he sobered up. But my point is, Jesus is not saying, and, we'll, and I'll finish up with some specifics, but Jesus is not saying that you are to memorize some script and you are to corner people and be um, annoying and abusive with people. I think, just think about this for a second. What kind of words, what kind of people do you enjoy being around? What kind of things come out of their mouth? Well, an easier way to maybe even think about it is this. What kind of people annoy you? Well, religious know-it-all people, prideful people, people who just talk all the time, people who are unwilling to listen. And so Jesus is saying we are to go out to be messengers. But look what Jesus says. Verse 9, he, he says this, Heal the sick. This is really interesting. That the message that we deliver is to be a message that mends people's lives. That the message you deliver with your mouth and with your lifestyle is to be a healing message. In a world where relationships are broken, where people are hurting, a church for others is to be a church, a community of people who understand that the message has to be about healing. We live in a community where success is common. We, we know this from where we live. But one of the things we must be aware of is that relationships are difficult. That having healthy relationships with one another is difficult. One of the ways that we be a church for other people is we understand what kind of community that we live in. We understand the issues we understand what's going on in people's lives. We understand the broader narrative of what's happening in our country. And think about this for a moment. Verse 9 says, to heal the sick. What is going on in our country? What is going on in our neighborhoods? What has been the narrative the last few months in our country? Well, one of the most consistent themes that's been going on is the abuse of power. And Jesus is saying this, that we are to be people who understand power and that we are healers. Power, when it's abused, is destructive 
and hurtful and painful, and we see it nonstop. In fact, you can't even... It, it has gotten to the point where just being aware of the world we live in is disheartening and sad and tragic because people abuse power in all sorts of ways, ways that I don't have to go into detail this morning, but the message is this. Does your words, does your lifestyle bring healing to people? Jesus says the, ne the next message is this. The kingdom of God has come near to you. What kind of neighbor are you? Do people know that you represent the kingdom of God? Here's an example of understanding what it means to be a church for others. We use the right words. We, we don't speak in overly Christian words. We don't create a, a Christian language where people don't understand. But what you do do is you put your life on display and you share your life with people. And they sense a sense of joy. They understand that there's something different about you. Why? Because your life is in Christ. Because the kingdom has come near. And so the message, the idea of being a neighbor, means that we are first and foremost healers of people's lives. Not because of anything we've accomplished or what we do, but because Christ is in us. We'll finish with this. And this has to do with um, uh, a, a motive for really understanding what does it mean to be a church for others. And, and this is so important. Um, verse 17 says this. The 72 re returned, and they returned joyful. They returned joyful, and it says this. They said, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And this again, now this is, here's what this is. Here's what's happening here. This is the creation of misuse of power within the church. They are excited because they have power. This is so important for us. They are not excited because they've brought healing. They are excited because of power that they have. And Jesus is going to correct them. He's going to chide them. He's going to give them a little bit of a, a, a word to correct them. And this is the part that we have to be very thoughtful about and try to understand that even within the church, the church can misuse power. Pastors can misuse power. People in leadership in churches can misuse power. And that's what's happening here. They are celebrating the fact, not that healings have taken place, but that they have accomplished something. And here's what Jesus says. What should grab our attention? What should be the motive for living in a way that is a blessing for others? Here's what he says, verse 20, the words of Jesus. Do not rejoice in the things you have done. So think about this for a second. Do not rejoice in what you have accomplished in your life. Do not rejoice. Do not find your joy in the power you have. Do not find meaning and satisfaction in your career, in your performance, in the things that you've done with your life. And Jesus is talking about something deep within our hearts. What should we be joyful about? He says, rejoice that your names are written in heaven. That's what you rejoice about. 
here's what's interesting. When we have to think, one of the things you do when you study the Bible is you try to think, okay, what, what was going on in this time when this was written? Well, here's something that we don't necessarily even think about. People were not writing on pen with pen, ink pens and paper during this time. Nobody had, people didn't have paper. So what Jesus is saying is this, is that if you had your name written down, what do you think that meant about you as a person living in first century you know, um, Palestine? It means that you were a somebody. It means you were somebody important. The vast majority of people did not have their names written anywhere. And Jesus is saying this, rejoice that I see you as important. Rejoice that your name is in heaven. Rejoice in who you are. Rejoice that you are in Christ. Do not rejoice in the things that you accomplish in your life. Do not build an identity on who you, uh, on the things you do. Build your identity on who you are. You are in Christ. That is who you are. When you build your identity, when you find your hope, your joy in Christ, then you can love other people. And you don't view people as trophies. You don't, you don't view people as a way to use them, to gain a step up. I don't, this, this doesn't happen all that much, and I say this occasionally. This does happen to me occasionally, though. And it's, it's the complete opposite of how I want to do church. People will come to me and say, hey, you need to get this person. You need to get this person. These people, this person. You know what they do? They're viewing, they're viewing them as little trophies that if we get them to be on our team, then we have status. And I'm, I'm just saying, you know, do you know how often, like, for me, the churches, we just get so messed up. We have such a distorted view of people. Jesus is saying here that we are all to be a blessing to all people regardless if they help you advance in life. Don't be a blessing to people that can only help you go up. Be a blessing to people that can give you nothing in return. That creates a completely different kind of church. If we want to become the kind of church where we lift up meaningful people, powerful people, people who have a, a way to help advance things, we become like the world and the kind of church that Jesus will reject. A church for other people is thoughtful about the world we live in. We understand the idols of the culture that we live in. And we're able to articulate how those lead to an unraveling. Jesus is showing us here that first and foremost, we find our hope, our identity, our joy in Christ. And we do that together. But we understand that we live in a neighborhood that people are different. They have a different view. And how do we make our lives attractive? With humility, with gentleness, with kindness, with a willingness to be a blessing to others. If you want to be a blessing to another person, you have to give up something of your own life. That is a principle that is just true. If you want to be a blessing, if you want to be a financial blessing to a friend who's financially hurting, you have to give them money. 
That means you lose some of your money. If you want to be a blessing to somebody relationally, you have to give them time. You have to give them your ear, your emotions. You have to give them part of who you are, which means you don't get to do what you want to do right then. My hope for us is that we would be a community of people who find a renewing source of grace through the gospel. That individually you will live in Christ. That as a community we will live together. We will share our lives together. But that we also be aware of people in our community, friends that we all know that don't yet understand the gospel or have not yet put their faith in Christ. And that we would build friendships with them in a way to be a blessing to them. Let's pray. Father, I pray that as we continue in worship and we leave this property here in a few minutes, that we would leave here with the attitude that we could be a blessing to others, that you bless us with your presence, that we can enjoy your presence in worship as we will here in a moment, but not for our own good alone, but that we could be a source of encouragement to others, that we would be generous, we would be kind and thoughtful people. Father, I thank you for what you're doing here. I pray your Holy Spirit would fill our hearts, our lives. And Father, I pray that when it's Tuesday afternoon at 2 o'clock and, and someone here is discouraged or frustrated, that we would remember that we are in Christ and that we are doing this with community. We're not alone. You give us your grace every day. Thank you that you love us. In the name of Jesus, amen.